0: Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the amazing Allison Wright. You know her best from her Emmy Award-nominated role as Martha Hansen on the show The Americans, as well as being in the series Sneaky Pete and the film Confirmation. Allison can currently be seen as Ruth Wardell in the second season of the TNT post-apocalyptic series, Snowpiercer. The season two finale airs on Monday. I should note that this interview was recorded in the middle of February. We're not going to start with fashion, but I, uh, just because we're talking about it until I grab my questions here. Um, where are you calling from?
1: I am in Vancouver. On the forty seventh floor of an apartment in quarantine, day seven.
0: How is that? <laughs> well,
1: it's my second time. It's my second time doing the fourteen days Canadian one, and like my sixth quarantine altogether since. So it is what it is. Yeah. Do
0: you have have you learned any um, not games, but any ways to kill that time besides watching TV or reading?
1: Um, no, I suppose it's just. Like getting your expectations in line with how it's actually gonna be. Once you've done it like five, six, seven times, you're like, you know what it's gonna be. You can just, you know, grin and bear it sort of thing. There, there are people out there who are struggling much more than having to sit in an apartment for 14 days, seven times. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like you said, it's great to be able to work. And in theory, you can actually even do work while you're doing the quarantine, since everything is over Zoom or over, you know, such as we're doing right now you can actually still do stuff so that's good um i hope it doesn't you know hope it doesn't last too much longer that this is the way it has to be i'm here with my dog who hopefully won't make an appearance on this podcast but he very well mal- he, he might if he feels like it um but it's tough for people with families or you know or kids or then i think it can get really complicated having to do this but again lucky to be working like you said
0: yeah Let's go right into Snowpiercer. It's on TNT. It's in the middle-ish of the second season right now as we record this interview. But for those who don't know, what's the show about?
1: It's a, it's a sci-fi adventure series, I'd say, set in a time where our terrible human ways have, ac- have heated up the Earth to the point that the scientists in a panic were all trying to cool it down and accidentally froze it. So then we're now, in, now we're in a frozen world that we have to try and survive. And there's one mad genius who's built this train that, uh, that can keep humanity alive on it as long as it incessantly circles the globe. And anyone who is lucky enough, lucky enough to get on the train is on it and alive, and anyone who didn't, isn't. And it's game over. So all of humanity is left on this train and packed into this tight little sardine can situation, although it is a very, very big train and the outside rules of the outside world are placed on the inside of this train that's being run by this madman. And you can imagine people are basically shoved into a caste system, just like they were on the outside of the train. Whoever's the most powerful and has the most money remains that way on the train, and thus begins our story.
0: And you play Ruth. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about her.
1: Ruth works in the hospitality department, which uh, in theory was meant to just keep everything running smoothly passenger relations sort of thing was the idea Um, when she signed up for the job she didn't realize that the you know she thought it was going to be like a an orient express journey and she was just going to get to you know carry cocktails and have a nice time but then the world froze and now it's real deal slightly different job than she signed up for and order has to be kept and people must follow the rules they don't have an endless supply of batteries or things to keep the train going and they can't fit everyone in the world on there so the rules suddenly become pretty harsh and she is responsible for and en- enforcing some of those
0: now in season two I, I don't there's an underlying question about her loyalty like to which her loyal to who her loyalties lie and i'm wondering as you play a character with like a larger arc like that that you may or may not know yourself how do you approach that
1: well um I got to deal with the information that I had from the beginning was that she was very a company woman, very dedicated. And then throughout the first season, you know, a real believer, a a zealot, you might say, she'd gone a little bit too far in in believing in the system, the party, and enforcing what the party, the rules that the party laid down. And then as we work through the first season, she finds out that she has been very much misled, And that is not the case. What she thought was the truth is not the truth. And that everything that uh, she's built, what she's built that first season on is in fact not true. So when we start the second season, she has all this brand new information about her leader, her Führer, that is different than she thought it was. So she's starting to, you know, her own engines are starting to fire up, I think. And she's starting to think about, hang on, who's this person that I'm working for? You know, she, the the code that she has about what's right and wrong and how things should be. And that applies to the boss, too.
0: And yet that's also what I think is also very compelling about it, because I think it's easy to put yourself in that in, in Ruth's situation, kind of wondering where your loyalties Well mean, not easy, but it's. Uh, I think we all have our opinion on where our loyalties might lie. If you're playing Ruth. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and she's she's figuring that out now, but also would like to stay alive.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, would like to not end up in the worst part in uh, uh, of passengers on the train. She would love to not have to be there. But then, what does that mean? There's lots to play with. Yeah.
0: Now, the, the show on this cast is amazing. It's you, it's Jennifer Conley, David Diggs, Lena Hall, Sean Bean, and so many others. What's it like on set?
1: Brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, there are so many of us and everyone is having a great time and having a laugh. We're all a bunch of idiots. It's great that there are so many of us. It's a, a unique sort of experience. You're often in and out on a TV show and you don't really get a A grasp of you don't ever have a cast this big for one thing rarely so it's really amazing it's the cast and how how many of us there are and how much we get to hang out and spend time with each other and how great they all are has been a massive bonus of this whole job
0: now the show obviously we've talked about or you talked about the show takes place on this train that's circling the earth kind of a silly question but what's the longest train ride you've ever been on
1: not that long, I think, although they break down and are so slow in England, they could have like been extended to being feeling like they're forever. Um, not more than five hours I would say, probably. I did want to do there is one here though, there's one in Canada that goes through the Rockies and goes through all these like gorgeous turquoise waters and on the edge of a mountain and stuff, and that's like an overnight sleeper situation. I've wanted to do that, but I haven't done that yet probably not allowed anymore cuz of covid anyway.
0: I would say and then there's the covid thing too. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned before Snowpiercer is a sci-fi, I think thriller's right. It's also a little bit of a soap opera, which is not a bad thing. What are were some of, what are some of your favorite sci-fi shows or films?
1: Oh, well I think for me it started pretty young with the Time Bandits.
0: <gasps> Time Bandits, yes. yes.
1: Which I just rewatched not too long ago and I was like, "Yes, thank you. It does hold up." It does. It does? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous when Sean Connery pops in, you know, but it's I love it. Yeah. I watched that a lot when I was little. And and then the fifth element I'm obsessed with. I've seen that so many times. I love it. So many great performances, great characters, costumes, action, Chris Tucker. Yeah.
0: Okay, an interview with you would not be complete without talking about The Americans. um, And I have a few questions about that. So, uh, first of all, The Americans is widely considered one of the best TV shows ever. It's always on critics and fans' best list. What does it mean to you to have been part of such a beloved, respected show?
1: Ruined for the rest of my career, perhaps? It's... uh... It's incredible that, that uh, it's regarded in such a way, it, it's really amazing, it makes me feel very lucky and very lucky that they decided to give me a shot at that part. I think it's, what's incredible about it is that it's a story, as I see it, about a marriage, about the, one of the most complicated marriages <laughs> out there. And that's It never ever lost sight of that. And their marriage was so complicated and the way that the writers created it and basically gave Elizabeth Jennings all the characteristics and personality that any other writer's room would have given Philip Jennings made it extra interesting. You don't get to see a woman imbued with all that strength very often. And I think that's that was part of the many parts of its incredible draw
0: agreed so just for those who've not seen it you've played Martha Hansen and in 2017 you actually earned a nomination for an Emmy award what was it like when you found out that you were nominated
1: pretty mind blowing you know that's very that sort of life is very far away from my reality what I've you know ever watched or experienced or anything it, it's it's very you know i'm just a normal person who's an actor who tries to go from job to job who hadn't been able to stop waiting tables that much longer before I started The Americans, you know, so it was all pretty mind blowing. I'm very happy to have it. And, you know, I get to have that little title now, I think, for always is how it works, right?
0: I mean, there's the cliche, like, it's an honor to be nominated. Um, Did you view it that way?
1: Yeah, and I think that's very true. I mean, you can't look for definitions of absolute or definitions of brilliance or justice or you know, every every actor can't get one, you know, can't get any a nomination or an award or whatever. And it, it can't be about that sort of stuff anyway. But in the same breath, it's wonderful to be recognized by your peers on any sort of level.
0: I do want to warn people who've not watched uh, The Americans. The show ran six seasons and at the end, your character ended up in the Soviet Union. What was your reaction when you found out Martha's fate?
1: I was really sad. I was really sad. You know, she was like such a lovely person and that she was going to be sent to Russia 1984, I think it was, that year we we're talking about. And I was like, oh my God, I remember being really sad. And that's a tough place today, much tougher place in the mid 80s. And for somebody like Martha, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I felt really bad for her, but Maybe that's the point of the story.
0: (laughs) What do you think? I know this is complete speculation. You're just speculating here. I want to emphasize that for listeners. But what do you think Martha did after the Cold War ended?
1: Well, the idea is, and hopefully this doesn't spoil anything for someone who's listening who maybe hasn't watched the end of it yet, but the idea that they leaned into was that the KGB, in an effort to do something nice to her, at the behest of the Americans did procure that little girl for her to adopt and that she did end up being able to have some love and to have someone to look after and raise that little girl. And I, I could imagine that she would, you know, find a lot of happiness and pleasure and purpose in being a mother to that little girl. Yeah.
0: I I want to talk a little bit about your training because you studied, uh, at the Lee Strasberg Institute, which for, for people who might not know, that's kind of the study of the the meth of method acting, which the idea is to use um, like emotional moments from your past, from your actual life, to help develop characters. What impact did that training have on you, and how does it affect your performance today as an actor?
1: Well, I think one of the great things about um, the method and what I learned at Lee Strasberg is to really, to really uh, exercise your imagination, to really stretch the boundaries of. Your imagination because ideally you know you can you'll read a script and your imagination will be enough to connect to it to imagine things to make connections between those characters and yourself to be able to make it real enough for yourself to to create a real person and the method gives you exercises specific exercises to specifically stretch your imagination in certain ways to do just that So I think it probably affects greatly like how I perform now. Probably helps me make everything very personal or make each connection, each story beat or each moment thing that's happening, connect in a way to me. Like I can remember with the Americans thinking, what is something that I can think about that would make sense to me? Because the idea of being with somebody like Martha was with Clark for that long and then turns around and says that this is going to spoil nothing for anyone, I don't think, that he works for the KGB. Like, that is such a giant thing that Allison can't really, I can't really connect to the the magnitude of that in my life. That's hard to imagine. It's so big. Even though I did date a Russian for four years, it's still too big for me to imagine that he was turn around and say he was KGB. So, like, I had to try and think of something comparable in my life that push the buttons as much as that would for Martha. So in that sense, you know, that's really using like an exercise that you would have learned at school to make things that personal.
0: There are a lot of people like me who discovered the Americans uh, late into the run, or even now, people are still discovering it today. And there are so many moments, especially for Martha, that are surprising. And what's great is people will still post their reactions on social media today, like it aired last night. And I'm wondering if when you come across that, what's your reaction when you see their reaction to something that happened to her in the early parts of the show?
1: I love, I'm always surprised by how much people, uh, they seem to have like genuine concern for her. (laughs) They seem to have genuine worry. And like, she sort of transcends a little bit and becomes a real person in a real situation for a lot of people. It takes a while. I think it takes a while for her to grow on people. Like she's, she's there slowly and quietly for a while and paying into the story, paying into the story. And once it starts to pay off, that's when people start to realize, ouch, you know, this hurts, actually. This hurts to watch this happening to her. So I enjoy it. I sit and laugh at people's pain <laughs> and the tears and worry. I laugh at it.
0: Okay, so the name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. Allison, what's your current obsession?
1: My current obsession is um, a series of Japanese films about the epic swordsman and hero Zatoichi. He is a blind swordsman. They made 26 films, all starring the same actor. The films, the first one was made in 1962 the first two are in black and white, and then from the third one on, they go into color. So they made 25 films from 62 to 73, and then there was a 16-year hiatus, and they made one more in 89. In that hiatus, they made 105 episodes of the TV show, all starring <laughs> the same actor in the lead role, Shintaro Katsu. And I'd always liked like the Chinese... Kung, Chinese martial arts, kung fu, magical sort of monkey magic stuff since being little. But this obviously is the Japanese uh, samurai tale. It's more about the yakuza and samurai. And I started to watch those when lockdown happened last year, and got the Criterion Channel and watched all twenty five of them on the trot. And I'm fully obsessed now.
0: I'd say uh, the setup just sounds amazing. The history of the show, of the films and the show, and the shows. Sounds great. But what is there something specific that really clicked in for you that made you love this?
1: Um, The storytelling. So it's a story about this character who is uh, the lowest of the low in in Japanese society, a blind masseur who wanders the Japanese countryside, um, making a living playing dice and playing the shamisen and doing massages. So he's the lowest of the low in his own life, but he's a god to anyone who's seen him with a sword. He's faster than anybody else, and there's hardly any actual sword fighting in the first movie. But the few times that you see him do it, like I had to stop it and rewind the first move four times before so I could even move on with the with the film, first film, because so I was like, "What has happened here?" It was so quick, and he has this special kind of um, what he does. Is this special kind of like lightning fast action with the sword, but then he'll slide it back into the the cane sword holder in this case like the scabbard like that's a part of his move and the acting that uh, shintaro katsu does is just unbelievable that he he said one of the main reasons that he wanted to do the part was because he'd had a blind shamisen teacher as a child who was like that i can do that i know i can do really well it became a massive hit in japan it's a huge phenomenal worldwide hit really um and he's just, uh, like, the character, Zatoichi, he doesn't ever want to get into a fight. He's really humble and poetic, but everyone takes advantage of him. And he used to be a Yakuza and feels that he has lost all chances of ever redeeming himself, but he can't help himself helping out these villagers who are being, you know, they're in these difficult situations. He can't help himself because he has this strict moral code wanting to help people, and he doesn't ever want to kill anybody, and he's almost ashamed and deflated when he finds himself inevitably in the position that he has to kill somebody but his fighting is just it's unmatched his skill with the sword is unmatched even if he could was a sighted man what he can do as a blind man it's just staggering
0: i'd say i've definitely not seen any of these films but I, i definitely have to check this out now it sounds amazing
1: they're beautiful too. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. Like you know, the frames look like paintings. the The translations are really good, which is key. Key. Like all of the all of the martial arts films that I love to watch. Like you can't do dubbing. You really, really can't. Like that. That just kills everything. But also the tra- If you are not doing dubbing, the translations have to be have to be good, or it's it's down the toilet. You know, it makes it really hokey. And these translations are just really good. And he loves. Like he's always trying to earn a bit of money playing dice. But they always try and cheat him because he's blind but because of all his senses his other senses are so sharp he'll be able to hear when they're playing with loaded dice so he'll like you know (laughs) whip out his sword and like cut the secret thing where they're hiding the dice and they'll fall out of the hair or whatever like it's it's amazing adventure really amazing Mm
0: Okay, so in, uh, in 2016, you were in the film Confirmation that uh, was about the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court hearings and Anita Hill sharing that she was sexually harassed by him. Um, you played Jenny Thomas, who was married to Clarence Thomas, played awesome or amazingly by Wendell Pierce. Given Thomas's controversial reputation nowadays and everything that's happened in the U.S., or especially in the past few years, what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Well, mostly the first thing that pops to mind is little did I know as Mr. Greg Kinnear was there playing Joe Biden, that you know, fast forward to, to now, um, Greg and I both had very blue contact lenses in, in that film. And I think could hardly really even see each other in the scene that we had <laughs> trying to look at each other as our lenses floated around our eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's quite an astounding situation that that happened at all. Even when it happened, you know, it's incredible that that's how it went down. But, uh, Clarence Thomas is, of course, still a Supreme Court Justice. Um, and here we are. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and still to this day, I mean, even though we've had movements like Me Too and and stuff that have brought more and more of that issue to the front, this is something that took place twenty over 20 years ago. And it's, it's just amazing that we still have to deal with this, uh, not only in politics, but in every walk of life.
1: It's hard to believe that somebody like Anita Hill... I mean it's just impossible not to believe everything she said i can't imagine a better witness or a more stand-up person or character than she was you know and the incredible strength she had at the time to do that on her own you know in front of a, a desk full of i don't know 12 or so men that were you know just yeah incredible strength that woman had
0: So, Allison, what we do on this podcast, we do a thing called "Pick One," and I like to wrap up interviews this way. I give you a couple choices and ask you to pick one. Will you play "Pick One" with me? Let's do it. Okay, so the first one I have for you is theater, film, or TV. Pick one.
1: Oh, really, really, it has to be theater, but kind of. Mm, if, mm, theater, but with a caveat of TV, because TV is so exciting in the moment and all the possibilities are in TV and you can do more of it and more characters.
0: Yeah. And, and going back to what, how you described Snowpiercer too, I think uh, obviously an unusual aspect of that show is the size of the cast, but you mentioned there's almost like a, I think you said a theater camp quality yeah. to, to them being yeah. on set. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is a specific, you know, it's a specific feeling when you're doing a play. You're so, cause you're in there all day together you know, 95 doing the rehearsals for four weeks usually, then all the time, all the time, and you're at the theater, you're at the same base place. And our show, because we're on the stages all the time, it's also that idea, like we drive to work every day and we have our parking spot. It's never like that. You know, you're on location here or there. You only see one actor here. You maybe never see half of the cast that you're in the show with. You maybe never even meet them. But this, we're all in the same place all the time. So it really has that feeling.
0: and the next one i have for you is the movie snowpiercer or the french graphic novel
1: the graphic novel is pretty hardcore um it's pretty shocking um it's really bleak so i think i might go with that i might go with the graphic novels yeah they're really beautiful and and harsh really harsh and dark darker than the movie
0: And, and then the last one i have for you sunderland or newcastle pick one
1: this is this football specifically related?
0: No, no. okay. Uh, can I be completely honest here? In my, my uh, American, I've never been to either of these cities before. Um, when I was researching you, I found out that Sunderland is typically the place in the UK or, or England where when you guys have an election, it's usually the first one to have the results done. But then I was reading that Newcastle is trying to get in, get in on that, right? It's nearby and they're trying to be, they're trying Little to beat thieves. Sunderland to that.
1: Little faves, that's why. <laughs> um there is unbelievable rivalry between Sunderland and Newcastle primarily because the football team which I have no interest in football whatsoever um I would have to say Sunderland otherwise every every family member of mine would stop speaking to me so Sunderland (laughs) it is yes
0: and and as someone who doesn't have as, as a big interest in sports either I'm just curious is it is that kind of a consensus of that that rivalry in the foot in, in football at least that it's Sunderland uh, oh. is the one to pick is there like one that's like the Yankees and one that's like I don't know like the Red Sox or the Patriots no, any
1: it's- any it's applies to the whole of the country and it's whatever two cities are closest to each <laughs> other that's it they all hate each other with a plum. <laughs> and like the extra police have to come on whenever it's a match day on the trains between those two cities it's the whole country over they're obsessed with football and the rivalries between whoever their nearest team is that that means they have to hate
0: i want to thank allison for chatting with me and i want to thank you for listening you can catch season two of snow piercer monday nights on tnt please take a moment and subscribe to i'm so obsessed on your favorite podcast app and if you really like this episode please rate it until next time Take care.